Okay, should we start this thing? I guess so. I'm going to play a song. <laughs> Science AF. 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 Science as fuck. Hi, I'm Chacho, and I'm Science as fuck. This is Science AF. Welcome to the show. Today, I've been doing some research, and I want to talk to my guest today about the science of comedy what makes us laugh is there any way to study it or is it pointless or is there a formula we can find and if there is we will tell you what it is in the post credits <laughs> uh my guest today uh is a was a writer for uh some very prestigious shows that i love uh mr show chris rock show uh uh, what else? Uh, the Mad TV, right, Mike? Mm -hmm. uh, welcome to the show, Mike Upchurch. Hi, Dave. And there's lots of other ones that I that I didn't go into. What were you telling me? The Muppets. Um, I did a Jim Henson, uh, Henson uh, show with Henson, not the Muppets. They they sold the Muppets. This, oh, the Henson Company. Close, the Henson Company. But they still do puppets. Yes. Uh, but can they not call them Muppets now? No, Muppets are a genetic uh, entity. Species are genetic. They, yeah. Well, there are specific things about them that make them Muppets that they can't do with other puppets. Really? Like yeah. what? Like the hands and sticks or something? Uh, something to do with the size of the eyes. And uh, hmm. is there a mathematics behind what, I, I what don't a know, Muppet but I, looks I think like? there is. I, I don't know what mathematics are, but there is a uh, like a description of what makes Muppets. Wow. That's they awesome. sold all of their Muppets. And then they have other things that aren't Muppets. They have a, uh, the puppets are called like businessman and uh, glamour <clears throat> caveman is another one who's the Muppets or Jim Henson uh, Jim Henson created the Muppets but the yeah. Muppets are now Disney right but what skate what were you saying caveman oh uh, the, the, these are the puppets that are that they have left that, that Henson still has they've got like a hundred puppets oh okay and those are the names like if you look at the book of puppets mm -hmm. there's one that's called businessman uh-huh and it's just it's the square jawed looking big toothed uh, puppet and he was an original muppet but is now was still with the jim henson company he's he, just a one of the emancipated that they've had that never got never made it to into muppet he never he ne never became a muppet he just sort he was of a second puppet. stringer yeah <clears throat> it's all the second string he puppets, got called literally. out to the big leagues with jim henson <laughs> yeah so what was that you so you were show running a uh puppet show a, a puppet show makes it sound like it's for kids but a, a uh a comedy with puppets yes we, i went in for like a meeting a general meeting and then they um, took me into this uh, uh, projector room, uh, uh, and and I guess that's called a, th a theater. Uh, and uh -huh. so they had all these bags of puppets laying all over. They had, I think they said we have eighty-eight puppets in these bags laying here, um, and we want to make fun of reality shows with these puppets. Oh, cool! Yeah, and then they had those puppets in a book, and then they had. Um, a list of reality shows. So I looked at the puppets and I saw um, a turtle and a rabbit. And then I looked at uh, what's the thing? It's called Amazing Race. That was a puppet. That was a show that was that was a reality yeah, show. Amazing I Race. Remember the Amazing Race? I went, oh, a race. Uh, the 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 hare and the tortoise. Uh huh. 
You got as a, a reality you got show. A rabbit. Yeah. So there's one. That's great. Went, oh, great. You're interviewing them <laughs> yeah. as they go. And yeah, it was just you look at the puppets and, and then you look at all the reality shows they want to make fun of. And then you just kind of pick cast out of those puppets into, you know. Wow. And you um, did a Ph.D. or, or a master's thesis. Got a master's on thesis. in sketch comedy. Right. Or well, on the history of sketch comedy. Yeah. And you can pick your thesis. Mm hmm. And so I decided to do my thesis on sketch comedy. So what did they say when you, you came to them and you're like, I want to do, a, I'm going to do a paper on, what did you do, spend a year on it? I'm going to spend a year working on sketch comedy. Yeah. Um, I did a narrative study. Uh-huh. Um, and I thought uh, sketch comedy was something of interest to me. And I thought if I did a narrative study, I would hopefully learn something about it. And then also satisfy the requirements of a degree. Mm -hmm. you know? But they were behind it? Yeah. They, they thought it was a good idea. Um, they, got, they sent me to New York City. managed to get them to... Oh, wow. Yeah, I talked to Al Franken. Uh-huh. Um, he was very nice. He took me to eat sushi. Yeah. Cool. Uh, I asked him about... Uh, he was... Was that when he was on SNL? Yeah, he was the head writer. So when you were doing this research, what there was there was SNL, there was Python, maybe the state was around. The state had just come out. New kid, uh, new not new kids. Uh, kids, kids, kids in the, the hall. Was, kids in the hall were around. Yeah, they were the probably at their peak. Uh huh. Because this was like 1992 when they were on every 10 minutes on Comedy Central. Yeah. So what did you what did you find out? What did what wisdom? Now, now you actually you you published this paper, right? So people can go out and yeah, it's, I think it's automatically saw... published. If you do a master's thesis in an accredited university, it is automatically through University Press published. Uh huh. So, um, so you can buy it on Amazon or yeah, something. Yeah, you could. I think you could probably download it. You know? what, what's it called? The Poetics of Sketch Comedy. All right. I sound really and excited about it. Don't what's I? the? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, what was the? The takeaway, what did you learn? What's the secret to sketch comedy? What's the one thing you have to know to do sketch comedy? Well, first of all, I thought I, I would have been scooped, you know, like, oh, somebody's probably already covered sketch comedy. And then uh -huh. the more I looked into it, uh, the more I realized, oh, no one's done any studies on sketch comedy. It's, yeah. it's wide open. There were a couple of papers that had to do with narrative that <clears throat> there was this one book about comedy in general. And they had a section on sketch comedy. It was by this guy Neil and Krutnik were their last names. Mm -hmm. And uh, they I sound remember, like a good old comedy team from <laughs> yeah, the they, <laughs> Adirondacks. Yeah, it we're Neil and Krutnik here yeah. to tell you our story. <laughs> it was very dry. Uh huh. Um, but it was kind of like I I, I like the way they were looking at things. They were just kind of they compared it to the three act structure, you know. Yeah. And a sketch being like a hero's journey almost, or just like a, an arc of some sort. Sketch is more of a situation. That's yeah. the thing. It's it's much thinner. Yeah. Um, what did I uncover in my thesis? Um, the origins were probably in the open air markets um, in the old of, world, big cities in, in the old world, the city states mm -hmm. like Jerusalem and uh, Alexandria, Egypt, or uh, Rome. Okay. Um, so you would have entertainers out there, maybe groups. Yeah, groups. That's, you would go to the open air markets to sort of, um, uh, you would either pontificate, you know, if you, if you were political. Yeah. 
or you would uh, be entertaining. You would just go up there and tell funny stories. Sometimes, I bet a lot of different er comedy originated there, like the double act, you know, where you have two people acting out a situation. Mm -hmm. And Um, then it's very much like Life of Brian, speaking of Python. Totally. It, you know, the, just the, the, uh, charlatan preachers. Yeah. When they had the prophets, they were all up there. They had the, the one guy who's kind of confused and they had the, in in front of them, they had pottery, right? Uh huh. That's where people would toss the coins. Okay. Yeah. Remember at the end, he falls into a giant piece of pot, uh, you know, a giant pot. Yeah. Those are, that's where you put those out to get your money. Um, It hasn't changed too much. We have, we have a glass jar now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And also, um, at the same time as this sketch comedy was being done, there was really big productions uh, being done on stage that were like two hours long with costumes and, uh, you know, they're very lavish. And, mm-hmm. and, and yet we, they still had sketch comedy, but it wasn't at the big stage. It was in the smaller stages. And um, when little, did they start calling it a sketch? <clears throat> um there was a thing called uh, the first time a sketch was used was by a guy named William Dunlop. He was a uh, theater critic, tire salesman. They used to call the the uh, in between legitimate theater. They would have a little. They'd have a break, and then you come back and they do a little little piece that that was called a sketch. Oh yeah, yeah. The comedians come out so you can go pee. Right. <laughs> you don't have to miss anything. Exactly. Um, and then it's called Darby's Return. That uh, was a. Uh-huh. That was the first sketch, Darby's return. During a theater, like in in the middle of a theater production or something? Yeah. Darby's was, return. Yeah, it was um, 1789 um, in the U.S. Do um, we have the script? You can look it up, yeah. It's really boring. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's about this Irishman who returns home, and he regales his uh, fellow uh, village people with uh, tales of his trips to America and Canada. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, there's a lot of um, that was that's... ethnic stereotype, you know, uh-huh. he's drunk. Um, oh, and, um, talking about and making just... fun of all the different people he met. Yes. And that was uh, that was the first thing that was ever called a sketch. That sketch that you're uh, Darby's return. Yeah. It reminds me of a theory of comedy. I, I looked up some theories of comedy and um over the years, philosophers and scientists have tried to study comedy and mm-hmm. it's elusive, but you know, you can study anything. It might not tell you how to do it, but, um, it's called laughter theory in psychology. There's a, yeah, there's a whole branch called laughter theory. And it's like, what makes you laugh? There's this research center in uh, Boulder, Colorado called hurl the humor something something but whatever it's h-u-r-l research lab it's like humor research lab or something like that um and they've been coming out with a a theory but um one of the earliest theories talked about by hobbes and aristotle is the uh superiority theory right which is like that what Hobbes's return whatever it is um it's it's the idea that you're basically making fun of people which is still a thing, but yeah. Um, and it's not always racial. It could be like a lot of late night talk shows, you know, do political sketches that are kind of just superiority. Like look how dumb Trump is or something. I think I'm not what against they mean by it. that is, uh, 
like in a, in a, in a very base way, when you see uh, America's Funniest Home Video, you know, here's a big dumb guy slipping and falling <laughs> on wet grass. Yeah. <laughs> That's, That's him. That's not me. <laughs> and that was exactly Bob Saget's commentary. Oh, really? Yeah. Remember? <laughs> yeah. He would just be like, doop to doo I'm a big dumb guy. Hope I don't slip on the glass. <laughs> um, and then he does. And it's yeah, hilarious. Yeah. Um, I never thought that was quite. I think the theory is that that laughter is the. Uh, result of when you have a victory, it's the noise you make or something. Yeah. A victory. Oh, OK. Like as you're uh, spearing a, a, a foe or a predator or throwing a harpoon or whatever. That it's yeah. Triumphant. Uh, well, it's kind of an involuntary thing, I think, when you have a certain amount of endorphins suddenly released. Mm -hmm. It's like an in, it's like a reflex. Um, I mean, I hear a lot of fake laughter when I do comedy, but when you do it well, you get you can you can really hear you know like yeah people uncontrollably laughing. Now I wonder you know because like, they always focus on the a lot of that laughter theory is just like just on the laugh you know like what what is it what what causes it it's like this barking noise and what what's the source of it mm -hmm. and it's almost like um they never do that for crying you know like what makes something sad you know why why would someone become sad the way they do with laughter yeah i guess because you know one wants to sit around and be sad they'd rather laugh a lot so and, you, and it's a little more obvious with sadness isn't it like Grandma yeah. died. I'm sad. Yeah. That, I like humor is more elusive, right? Because you can, because you can think something's funny. You can walk up and say it to a group of people and they may or may not laugh. And it, sometimes it depends on the temperature in the room or what's going on in the world or who's there, what kind of people are there. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a, it's a very sort of nuanced thing. It's very subjective. I always find those, the scientific inquiry into, you know, laughter and, and, comp and, and humor. It just sounds like a bunch of scientists <laughs> trying to figure something out. Yeah. And uh, you're like, I don't know if they're going to figure it out. I don't know if they will. It might be too complicated, but, um, I think there's various things that are part of comedy and you can sort of try to weed them out, but, it's it's uh, a diminishing exactly. of authority. That's another one. Yeah. Frustrating an authority. Uh, yeah. Which is a big thing still. It's like, yeah, that's also the political talk show thing is to like trying to take down those in authority. Um, I used okay. to have them all. Uh, was it? There's the Hobbs was like the release the, of tension. Release of tension. Yeah. Um, that's music, too. Yeah. You get a building you know, up and release of get, tension. You get a little bit of endorphin. You get a little joy from when you hear a symphony and it is playing, you know, the the fifth, and then suddenly it drops to the you know the key, yeah, the bass key or whatever it is, and you're like, ah, right, the release. Um, I just wanted to mention this because I was I was looking at uh, which which animals can laugh: um, dolphins, chimpanzees, bonobos, apes, and rats. Really, surprisingly, no dogs. I think dogs, I definitely have seen dogs with senses of humor. Yeah. Dogs can definitely smile and be happy, but they don't have the laughing. Uh, yeah, I guess not. They don't have a laughing sound like air escaping. That's true. Like, there's these videos online 
of uh, tickling rats, scientists tickling rats, and you can, it's it's a very high pitch frequency, so they have to pitch it down a little bit so you can hear it, but they just giggle like, <laughs> but it's interesting that with the release from a from a, a song, you don't start laughing, even though you get a nice, it feels good when you hear a release from a song, but you don't laugh. Yeah, you more often you'd cry. If, if some if music is that is really really good yeah it brings tears to your eyes yeah you, which definitely. is kind of weird which, which laughter does too but um in a, oh yeah if you laugh hard enough yeah for sure do you think you laughed more uh more heartily or more easily before you started practicing comedy as a profession or or do you laugh more now oh gee i don't know I started as a profession because I mean I was writing it before that you know and I I was trying to figure out what was funny before that mm-hmm. so sometimes I think because I watch a lot of comedy now and I I enjoy it a lot of times you know it's kind of uh, a cliche of the, the pretentious writer who just like I understand that that's funny <laughs> but I don't know his <laughs> like physically laugh right I mean I laugh a lot when I'm just hanging out and, and chatting with friends but I don't laugh at shows as much as I used to. I don't think. Well, let's see. Um, I definitely, when I first started writing comedy, I would laugh less because I couldn't like laugh. It's weird. You, you, you sometimes you can't laugh because you got your analytical faculties operating at the same time. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, right. And I guess it's probably just a matter of, I wasn't really used to doing that. If you're sitting there trying to analyze it or, or see if it's going well or, yeah. or, you know, focus on what somebody's doing and the timing. Yeah. And I think it's just a matter of you, you have to turn off that faculty while you're coming up with it and then turn it on once you've come up with it and t- t- to look at it again and, and see if it's funny or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the idea that comedians uh, or that comedy writers don't laugh. It's not always the case on Mr. Show. There was a lot of laughter. I mean, it was, yeah, I would laugh so hard in the writer's room, in the writer's room. Yeah. There's, it's, you know, you probably really, laugh more in the writer's room than you do when you see the show though. I bet. Yeah. Because you're coming up with it and it's, cause it's, you know, well, it's, yeah. it's fun. In that and, case, you know, it, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's coming. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, um, I think it's a necessary part of the writer's room. It's, I can't imagine sitting around writing comedy and not laughing. That must have been, man, just to be a fly on the wall. Bob and Dave and what, Dino, Danitopoulos. Mm-hmm. Who else was in there at the time? Brian Posehn. Um, Brian Posehn. Um, Bill Odenkirk. Uh, Mike Stoynop was there for the first uh, part of the season. Paul F. Tompkins. And, oh, wow. Uh, uh, Jay Johnston. Mm-hmm. Who am I forgetting? I must be forgetting somebody. Gallagher, Gallagher, yeah. Yes, you know what's funny is I, I, when I I was uh, sitting there, uh, and Bill was it was my office mate at Mister Show. Mm-hmm. You can cut all these awkward pauses. <laughs> yep. Um, Bill, he, or he maybe re- I won't. <laughs> um, he was reading something and he kept laughing. And after like the third time, I'm like, "All right, what are you laughing?" At? He's like, "Ah, oh, it's just this writing sample. It's from a guy, Charlie Kaufman." And, huh? uh, just a really funny. And so as soon as he finished it, I was like, all right, I gotta, let me read it. He's like, all right. And he, and he hands it over and it was really funny. It was uh, something about Weird Al Yankovic. Uh-huh. <clears throat> his, um, 
brother, weirder Al Yankovic. <laughs> and I think there was a normal Al Yankovic. Uh-huh. Uh, I wish I could remember how this how it went, but it was really funny. Well, Charlie didn't get that job, right? But he No, he was I understand a... he had a lot of stipulations that he worked from home and they wouldn't change his stuff and Oh, wow. Well, I'm not, I heard that much later. I don't so I don't know if that's true. I didn't hear it. They didn't no Mr. one talked about it at the time. <laughs> Mr. Just... Big Shot best best film writer in Hollywood once stipulations but i know at the time he wasn't oh, at the time but he, he was worked a, on a the dana carvey show and yeah maybe conan and didn't he was an elf or like some sitcom in the 90s yeah he was writing for oh i know get a life with chris uh uh, uh yeah you know you know who i'm talking about chris yeah chris the guy under the seats yeah the guy under the seats Son of Bob. His, you know, his dad yeah. was a comedy. Bob and, Bob and Ray. Ray. What is his fucking last name? You know, um, there's a, there's a, there should be a word for when two people do this at the same time. Yeah. When you can't, when neither one of you can think of the thing and it's because the other person can't also. You're like, yeah. You both lean forward to go. It's, it's, it's. It's like I drained it out of your head by not, by not saying it. Uh, I'm even spelling it wrong here, looking it up. Bob Gagulli, Bob Gug, Elliot. God damn. <laughs> Bob Elliot. Chris Elliot. Chris Elliot. Jesus. Anyways, cut. Somebody study that. <laughs> Edit point. Uh, <laughs> uh, Charlie Kaufman wrote for Chris Elliot's show, Get a Life, and um, oh. some other comedy shows. Yeah. Maybe that's anyway. where Bob knew him from. Um, here, here's a list of triggers, comedy triggers. Superiority, we talked about. Surprise, we talked about. Oh, yeah. Surprise is really nice. If you could surprise somebody with a little bit of shock yeah. at the same time, like that's, that's the great. idea of a, a punchline is a surprise, hopefully, mm -hmm. what you thought they were going to say. Yeah. You lead somebody down one path and then boom, they you realize, oh, what's that called? That's um, Emo Phillips did that. It's called the it's great uh, at that. There's a there's a phrase for it. Leading um, on someone someone down a path. And then subverting subverting their expectations. Uh, violation. Benign uh, violation, right? Benign violation. We'll get into that because that's a later, that's a kind of more recent thing. Um, yeah, but, and that to me seems like a great unifying theory. Yeah, it's it's they're touting it as that the <laughs> the great unified theory that that Einstein died looking for in comedy. Um, so here's some more things. Uh, release we talked about embarrassment. If somebody's embarrassed, that's yeah, that can be funny. Incongruity, that's a big one with sketch. You know, incongruity. Like, that's a I I, I find that's it could be fish out of water yeah. maybe, or it can just be like somebody you know doing something different from everyone else. Well, like or, a a grown man acting like a, a child or a, right, yeah, uh, baby boss. Right, baby boss, exactly. Both, yeah. both both a movie and a sketch on SNL. Uh, a, a, an old grandmother rapping and yeah. dancing. You know, there you go. There's incongruity <laughs> the, the, for you. The rapping grannies, yeah. Yeah. They were big in the nineties for a while. Um recognition. I guess that's what's that about? Sort of um observational. Oh, like, like oh I recognize... never thought of that, but that's true. Yeah. It's like be, uh... Jerry Seinfeld. It's like you're you're right, Jerry Seinfeld. There is no such thing as dry cleaning. There must be some fluids involved. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> recognition it's like 
when somebody thinks of something, there was a comic that came into a, I didn't see him very much. He was, he was from Texas, but I, he said something like, uh, what's the deal with moisture settings on dryers? I mean, is anybody really choosing less dry? <laughs> less than, I want zero dry. Yeah. Shouldn't it just be set at zero? Yeah. Let's see. Um, configurational. I don't even know what that is. Just. Oh, yeah. Well, that's when you configure. A, ah, fuck, I don't know. Configuration. Like a weird tableau or something. I don't know. Ambivalence. I guess that's sort of the. Huh. When you don't know how to feel about. I don't give a shit or something. I think of ambivalence. Is, is that funny? Is when you don't know whether to laugh or cry. I kind of. Ambivalence is like, I don't care about this topic at all. So you might huh. be talking about something you're like, I don't. Yeah. I don't give a shit about the Kardashians. <laughs> um, coincidence. Well, that could be funny, I guess. Yes. Surprise. Yep. Whose is this? This is a uh, comedy, <laughs> Jerry Corlin's comedy clinic. Um, All right. But it was just a good list of, of things I saw in a lot of uh, articles about comedy. Um, but so in the 90s, there was a... And then, uh, uh, a viola something called violation theory, um, and that's the idea that comedy is mostly about violating norms or expectations or something. Yeah, you're 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 doing a violation that people are not supposed to do or say. Right. Um, and recently, they've sort of grown that into benign violation because, you know, there's definitely violations of social norms that are not funny at all. Right. Like shootings or violations, but they're not benign. But yeah. So the benign violation theory is like, it, yeah, it's like they, they show a uh, Venn diagram of benign things and vi violation, violating things and sort of it's the, uh, the intersection. I'm trying to think of like a, just a good, simple example of benign violation. Well, benign would just be like, um, I'm going to pet my cat. It's not a violation. It's harmless. And a violation would be like, I'm going to kill my cat. <laughs> right. Benign yeah. violation might be, I'm going to, I'm going to pet my cat to death. Yeah. When the teacher, I'm going to pet the shit out of that motherfucker. You ever have get the teacher that's got a, a, a dark sense of humor, you know, like, mm -hmm. you know, all right, take him out and shoot him, you know, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That would be a very horrible thing if that were true. You know, but it's a benign violation. He it's benign because we don't believe that he would actually do right. that. He's just suggesting uh, that's a terrible violation, but he's just sort of benignly saying it. Yeah. And I don't, I, I don't think that's you can fit everything into this category. I think you need sort of all of these. And I'm not, I'm not sure how much this helps people write comedy. <laughs> you know, that's true. I think uh, maybe in, in some cases and you're not sure something's funny, but if you're not sure if it's funny, then, you know, you don't, you're trying to crack what? an idea open. You know, if you have a basic area that you like, but you don't have a funny area, a funny thing about it. Yeah. If you don't have a, a take on it. Yeah. You just start, start thinking about, well, what's a violation of this that's benign. I'm trying to think if I ever have referenced any kind of comedic theory as while writing comedy. Because it's always about just the task at hand. There's, you're never, rarely do you have time to step back and. There are, so there's, you know, categories of 
sketch um, that our, our friend Eric Wendy Penny teaches. Um, they don't, they're not the end all be all of all sketch, but they are sort of a science of, mm -hmm. of sketch comedy. It's like, uh, can we, can we think of them all? It's like fish out of water is when somebody's in an unfamiliar place, they don't understand. Right. Or, uh, uh, Eric Moneypenny has a really a great just list of types of sketches that are out there. Yeah. Which is cool because it's more of a, it's a, it's a naming and a categorization, uh, thing where it's rather than saying what's funny it's just saying well here's what's you, what you usually find in sketch comedy and that's why it's such a great learning tool like i find that the scientific theories are like you you hear them and you go oh yeah okay and then you think about it and then it doesn't really help you i mean i think it does i think what, what it can't helps hurt. you it can't hurt to study comedic theory like it can't hurt to sit down for a few hours and go what what is this all about right because so I think like when you can be funny and not know how to write comedy and you can be funny and learn how to write comedy, but you can't be, if there, you can't be not funny at all and learn to be funny. Is that, do you agree with that? Um, or I don't, maybe you can a little bit. I've seen people go from not particularly funny to very funny. Yeah. By by learning how to where it is in themselves, I think with stand up comedy in particular, there's a built in reward and punishment. If you get laughs, it feels great. Mm -hmm. If you don't get laughs and you bomb, it feels awful, and you sit and you rethink it and you're like, how can I make sure that this never happens again? And yeah. then eventually you build up enough time to where you just. I mean, this is if you're some people do. Yeah, some people. The, the real problem is that you get used to doing just so so and, and it doesn't bother you anymore. Yeah, that's the worst thing. You have to have that fear. Uh, Interesting, because the, <clears throat> if you get used to not to just doing OK and to polite laughter, mm -hmm. you're done. You're never going to get any better. You're just going to be those one of those people who stays at the open mics and just, you know, fumbles around and says, oh, what's next? Uh, you know. Or you can continue having that fear and just think, how do I, how do I make every set go a little bit better? Yeah. And Which is kind of, you know, I feel like a scientific way of thinking about it. Like you, if you, you know, you do your set and you get your feedback and you hone it to increase, you know, maximize feedback and mm -hmm. remove stuff that doesn't get good feedback. Yeah. It's a very sort of, um, there, there is a certain amount of methodicalness, I think, or at least, you know, paying close attention to what's happening for good writers and good comedians. Yeah. Well, like in live performance, uh, I had a friend who was a uh, comic. He had a guitar and he said, you know, every once in a while, a couple times a year, somebody would yell out Freebird when he started getting his guitar out. Yeah. And. You know, one of the responses, he had like five different responses to it. Eventually, you know, at first he didn't know what to do. Yeah. But he'd just flip them off and go, there you go, free of charge. Mm. <laughs> and it would just get a huge laugh. And people would go, oh, my God, he just thought of that. <laughs> it's like, no, he goes up and does it a lot. And I yeah. think that's what comedy is. You know, it, it's that joke, but times all your jokes, times every situation. You, you Eventually, if you go up and do it enough. You're going to get to a point where nothing throws you. You've you've been you've seen a lot. You've seen every kind of situation. Yeah. I mean, that's part of it is learning how to react in the room with any kind of live comedy with sketch or or improv or or stand up. 
the best way to lose the audience is if you're not paying attention to what what they like and don't yeah. like yeah and especially with stand-up even if a, a joke bombs if the way you react to it it's it can be funny yeah and you can get them back they don't they didn't necessarily like the joke but they liked how you told it wrong or how you yeah. didn't get a laugh from it a big breakthrough for me was um when you bomb a joke that's also funny yeah just to recognize that it didn't you go can well. comment on it react you know yeah react on it a, a big moment for me was when i learned like remember how you look up there like i can raise my eyebrows at a certain moment and get a laugh because people are, are staring at your face and if you change your expression that can indicate you mm -hmm. know uh that can get a reaction out of people yeah um so but what is did, when you started writing sketch comedy, did, did you, did you use like, um, did you think about like, this is a fish out of water or this is, uh, an impossible task or any of that stuff? Or, or did you just kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's a terrible question to ask where, how did you get the things you wrote? But I'm interested if, if there's ever a thing when you went like, Oh, that really helps me. Hmm. I mean, I started writing, when I was a teenager. So, mm -hmm. you know, I was like 14 or 15. And when I started jotting down ideas mm -hmm. and so for a long time, I just wrote down fragments of ideas that never got produced. So I was used to just writing ideas down. Yeah. Um, As before you knew kind of how to make it into a form, right? Right. Yeah. And then, so then by the time I got around a camera, I was like, oh, and then I look through the notebook and see what, if anything that I could find to, you know, so I don't know, like I didn't think in sketches, I didn't write them out. I, like for a couple the first few years, I just wrote down ideas and some of them mm -hmm. were actually, actually some of them were dialogue back and forth, back and forth. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I guess you could say it was a sort of a script, but usually just an idea. And I'm trying to think of. And did you ever take a comedy class? Like now, you know, there's UCB and, and IO and the pack and Groundlings and Second City. And everybody right. can take classes and they are helpful. I, I think um, they can help you form what you have in your head and onto a page. Yeah. Um, but I, did you ever have anything like that? Uh, I Not before I started writing comedy. I did take a, a couple of classes. I've taken three or four now. But it was since uh, I won an Emmy. You know, <laughs> like, After you won an Emmy, you yeah. took classes. I mean, yeah. I mean, in, in other words, I, I didn't need to. It was just like, hey, this is be fun and I can't hurt. Yeah. And it was improv. I took improv classes because that's different than writing sketches to me anyway. Yeah. And I, it was learning how to. Improv's like, it's like honing a muscle. It, yeah. It, it, it's, it's like good practice for for writing because you know sketch writing is a lot like slow improv it's like you're doing and you're the first time you know the yeah. first pass through you're improvising something slowly scared the hell out of me in your head it was it was frightening what actual improv just doing improvs yeah i'm getting better at it but it scares me do you ever do you ever get up and do improv shows uh, i did in the classes and then since i've done a few things but no but and the classes scared me i mean i 
I yeah. Before I went to the class, I would drink some coffee and think, okay, let me just get in the right frame of mind here. So, so you have to get out of your head, and that's hard. It is, yeah. It it still makes me nervous a little a little bit to go to improv classes because I still take them every now and then just to, you know, like hone that muscle, and it's kind of fun. But I still always have that nervousness going up to it. You know, yeah. like what what's going to happen today? Well, and stand up to too. The instinct to, you know, for the energy level goes up. Yeah. Whether or not it's fear, I think eventually the, the fear is subdued. You know, you do it enough, um, right? <laughs> I a know. little, yeah. It's subdued. Like my first improv class, I took through UCB with John Ross Bowie. I was petrified. Like walking there, I just remember, you know, <laughs> I was hype, almost hyperventilating because I was like, I don't know these people, and I'm gonna stand up in front of them by myself and yeah um it, but it really got me over it because you know the uh it was an accepting group and the, the mm -hmm. teacher was nice john ross bowie and uh everybody was cool and so, soon i learned you know it's okay if you bomb you yeah know? it's okay if you try to do something funny and it's not move on yeah to the next thing um, and it really made it okay. It helped me in like public speaking It helped me in just like work relationships just in. Yeah. That's in, totally why I did it. I was like, I, I, sh I should do this. Yeah. And I do recommend improv to everyone. I it's some people see it as a way to become a TV actor, but you can just do it because you want to be a little bit better at being at conversations. Yeah. I feel like I'm not doing that now. <laughs> um, let's, but what about uh let's get a word from the audience we'll do a quick scene oh yeah do you want to no i don't really want to <laughs> what open up the phones and see if uh, they have some callers yeah let's see if anybody's on the line <laughs> for me like writing monologue jokes for instance uh the best advice i ever got for that was um from writing topical monologue jokes if you have to write it for a show mm-hmm because I was in a position where I was writing them, um, and I didn't, uh, I'd never done that before. I'd written jokes for friends, but I'd never written topical monologue style jokes. And my uh, office mate, Tom Agna, I, I had been, I was writing pretty good jokes, but I was not churning it out. You know, yeah. like I didn't have as many jokes as I wanted. And my office mate, Tom Agna, said, Hey, uh, what you got to do is write your setups in the morning. Hmm. Don't worry about the punchline. Just write the perfect setup to every single story you see. And then come back in the afternoon and look at each setup and then write the punch. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, and I, did, I started doing that and it made a huge difference. Oh, that's great. Because the punchline is a spark. You know, you can't, yeah. look at, you can't come up with a, a setup and a punchline at the same time. You're like trying to do two things at once. Yeah. So totally. that really helped. I've never I write a lot of topical jokes and I've never been paid for it, but for local shows and um, yeah, there's something I, no one's ever said that to me, but there is something to that to just going through a news feed. And when you see something, you're like, there's something funny there, but I don't know what it is yet. Yeah. You know what I try to do? I try to um, think of uh, myself like if I, as if I called my friend on the phone. And I think of that of a specific person uh -huh. and I look at the story and go, can you believe this shit? And then, 
whatever I would say to my friend about it. Yeah. You know, and it's usually something, some observation that's close to a joke that from there I, I can figure it out, like an area, you know? Right, right. Yeah. <clears throat> like it's what, like, what's funny about that? Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's usually the, the funniest thing is something that you would share with a friend anyway. So, um, I mean, you know, sometimes you literally call your friend up and go, <laughs> what do you think of this? You know, but, uh, yeah. Or post it on their wall and be like, you seen this shit? Yeah. But it's usually an observation that I would make anyway. You know, obviously you want something that's a, an observation that sounds like a legit thing, you know? feel like you get in a joke writer's frame of mind and you're like it's like in outer space you know especially with topical monologue it's just got to be understandable it's like people magazine it's not mm -hmm. it's not you can't get too weird with it you know? yeah it's got to be to a general audience so it's always you just can like drop details like it you, a good setup focuses on the right details and drops others that don't matter yeah to get where you want to to the point you want to go to yeah what do you think about let's talk about the future of comedy a little bit i mean i feel like i don't know if it's changing so much as but a lot of comedians especially older comedians talk about how it's changing <laughs> some older comedians i know are like oh they'll, they'll talk about anything these days we used to be clean back in the day and that's the weird thing okay there's 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 there was a break back in the late 60s yeah where the old comics were like you got to work clean, right? I mean, this you know, young guy, Carlin, they, is saying they're like, dirty fuck words. this shit, that, you know, what the hell? You know, yeah. it's, we don't we talk like that amongst each other. But, you know, you go out, you got to be presentable. Well, but then there's another. So there's that split mm -hmm. in the 60s. It was like Carlin and Pryor were were doing, you know, work in blue. And mm -hmm. it was hilarious. Other guys were being clean. And then and comics who were before were working clean and had their clean 10 minutes. We're just putting swear words in just so they fit in. You know, they take their clean material and say, and then, <laughs> you know, what about this fucking coleslaw? You know, like. <laughs> take my wife, please. Yeah. It just became a Shit. thing. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> just throw in random. And then expletives. there was another split in the 90s b between comedy and alternative comedy. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. So where you had comedy was, you know, people would. Uh, right 10 minutes and they go around the country and they would tour that 10 minutes and it was just in clubs in clubs yeah. they didn't think about it alternative comedy was kind of the same thing but it was just more fresh and different <laughs> it wasn't that <laughs> i was difference. wondering yeah like what do you think was the difference they had a notebook in front of them so it's like as if they're just thinking <laughs> it up right now they had just written it down today and that was often the case but it was more, i think it was more about like i'm um, trying to come up with original material yeah. more often or maybe trying to do more Less joke, joke, joke. Sometimes it was storytelling, but a little it was bit about more yourself. Improvisation with the audience yeah. about what's happening right now. That was the deal than... with Beth Lapidus is she would interrupt your act uh -huh. so that it was impossible for you to do material. You would have to be on your feet. Yeah, there, there is a thing. Like when I started doing stand up, I don't do it a lot, but I, I do it now and then. Uh, I had a rigidly memorized five minutes mm -hmm. or seven minutes that was like timed and word for word memorized and it, it would get good laughs and I would hone it. But, and then at some point I learned that the good comics, at least the alt comics I like, they have goalposts, but they don't have a written out script. And I think that's a much harder way to go. 
so I, I I try to do that now, and I sometimes I the jokes do less well that way sometimes yeah. because it's a lot more on me being there presently in the moment and trying to get there rather than yeah read a memorized wrote script that I that I know from experience people laugh at. Yeah, I feel like there's a there's that the first time you do a bit, it's right there and it's fresh, mm-hmm. and then you have to recapture that. And and often if it does well, you go try to do it the second time and you get all this confidence, you know, and the yeah. audience goes, nah, I'm sorry, you know, you're too confident. And you're like, oh, shit. Yeah. Man. And then you're scared and then you do it again. And you're like, oh, no, it is good. It was just me. Like it doesn't have the same magic. Like, yeah. you know, that scene from uh, uh, Groundhog Day where Bill Murray's trying to win over Andy McDowell and the first time they have a snowball fight and he says something funny and it's <laughs> they both are laughing and it's great um and then he keeps trying to relive that moment but it's so fake because he's trying to like say the same thing again right. i think about that a lot when i'm doing stand up it's like this feels fake because i said this same sentence last week when i did this set um so i think there's something to trying to to, to being able to um, improv, recreate the first make, time, make it more of a conversation with the audience, or just more in, in, inclusive of what's happening in the room. Yeah, I definitely um, feel like there's a there's an art to figuring that out. You know, what kind of comic you are. Yeah, it's hard to find. And I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I have I know my, what my voice is, but um, you learn it a little bit as you go along. After 10 years of stand-up, I, I know a little bit about myself. Yeah. Um, what about, so there's the other split, which is a lot of, my chair's being loud, a lot of the old-timers now are complaining about PC-ness. Right. Um, which is how, I, I like to joke that, like, that's how you know if a comedian's turned 50, if they think everything's gotten too PC. But, like, Chappelle's and uh, doing it and uh Louis CK for other reasons um, has uh, issues, but he's been going very into this. Oh, it's too PC. Um, gee, I don't know. Cause you know, the past 10 years ago, I was just like, um, I felt like everything was just pushing the, the uh, politically incorrect thing. Like I just thought I was so tired of politically incorrect yeah. stuff. You know, so um, and politically incorrect is totally a not at all creative area. I, don't, I, I, I never felt that. Right. Was, yeah. You just kind of hit the same things um, that were uh, supposedly off limits, but that's the same things everybody talked about, you know. Yeah, it's um, interesting because comedy's always been sort of about being off limits because we talk about violations, mm-hmm. but there is a certain. The benign I guess part. It's like the punching, punching <laughs> down or punching up thing, yeah. which, which is which relates to being benign or not benign. Yeah. Um, it, and I and guess says, that's the thing about punching down. You could do it if you're benign about it. Yeah. Um, OK. In other words, it's got to be clearly a joke and done for shock value and surprise. Yeah. But that's the thing is like Sarah Silverman does a good job of that. Like, yeah, she'll. It, she has a, she bit, a bit a, about kind of a bad job of it a couple of times. Well, <laughs> but, people get it. Don't so understand it sometimes. Like, uh, yeah, she has done bad jobs sometimes, but she's yeah. like it's this bit about Martin Luther King and about how he's he gets too much adulation or something. <laughs> she's being clearly 
uh, ironic when she's by the tone of her voice, but still, you know, there's YouTube comments. I've gone through them before and there's people that don't understand that she's yeah. being ironic and are like, how dare she? Um, which is kind of NPC, but the way she's, she does it, I think is, is pretty well. Yeah. You see a lot of people trying to these days just, um, tend to be like, well, if you, if you say I can't, talk down on these people i'm gonna go as far as i can with it um yeah i mean actually it's interesting that like anthony jeselnik for instance mm -hmm. i think does a great job of sort of sort of punching down but you it, but it's sort of from this ironic persona uh where that it, it is it feels benign mm -hmm. and it feels like it's okay whereas like Chappelle's trans jokes feel just like an old man now <laughs> I haven't haven't heard the the most recent special, so I can't say. I, I felt like he's he sounded really old in the last. It one. It sounds from what I've read, it sounds like it. I don't know. It's it's just to me, it's just a bit of a sea change. Um, and if audiences don't go for a certain kind of comedy, well, then either play to a smaller audience, yeah, <laughs> or um, or you know, uh, kind of work your. You know, don't do politically incorrect stuff. If you're the politically incorrect comic right now, mm -hmm. well, gee, I, you're just going to have to pick a, a new list of things. You're going to have to be really creative yeah. because the things that we're getting last before, which is like, you know, kind of, oh, it's uh, it's benign racism and benign homophobia and benign. Well, it's like, uh, yeah, maybe it's not so benign. Maybe the whole time those jokes, there were people kind of rolling their eyes going, Ugh, you know, mm -hmm. um, it's not that clever unless. Yeah. Unless you have a new take or something that's about a group of people, but it's not hurtful. I don't know. It just uh, has to be funny. You have to be able to get away with it. You know, that's the thing. Yeah. People complain about, well, I can't tackle this subject or that subject. You can't. There's no one stopping anybody from tackling certain subjects. It's just they don't get the laughs that they used to. It used to be you could um, talk about anybody who's not in the room. Yeah. And then in the 80s stand-up comedy they would uh man, asians man if 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 i were an asian in, in the 80s i would not have gone into a comedy club because there's just so many bad asian jokes oh yeah that right. was like a staple and it was like benign violation but I, well, it didn't seem that benign to me i just remember just not not just thinking oh, that's uh hmm, why is this okay <laughs> you know there yeah. were plenty of people doing that at the time but there's always been hacks yeah um, oh, and, and a homophobic but stuff think, in the 80s as well. Yeah. Uh, on television, pretty homophobic material in on the HBO special. I mean, you can name the comics, you know. Um, some of the really good comics, but it's just like they would never do that kind of material. Andrew Dice Clay or, uh, you know, um, gosh, who else? Uh, just a lot of comics. A lot of mainstream comics at the time did homophobic material. Sam Kinison. Yeah, he had some pretty, pretty uh, material that would never fly today. Yeah, I believe it. And the thing is, is like, were those great jokes? I don't think in the mo I can't think of one where I'm like, oh, it's too bad. You can't do that anymore. You know, yeah, it's exactly. Like, it's never like anything that's just brilliant. Yeah. I think part of it is. Um, well, OK, I can think of several different comics who are. Um, they're just in my Facebook feed and Instagram and they're very mad about this whole PC thing. 
and they're letting everybody know they're they're not PC. No way. Yeah. And then they do these jokes that are either they go too far or not far enough. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, see now I'm judging them through their PCness. Right. And uh, there's there's they're supposed they're, they're saying that they're a big truth teller and they're gonna fucking, you know, I better buckle up, you know. Right. And so that makes me look at their comedy like, okay, and they're not gonna surprise me with anything. Well, you know, instead like, of like, how thinking- about just be covert about it, you know, and just surprise me with, with your with your joke with your and then, wit. then I won't see it coming. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, in, instead of making you open to more things that kind of confines you to be this like, you know, shocky kind of person who makes fun of everybody. Yeah. What was it? I keep hearing this a lot, which is uh comedy is supposed to, I don't know, kill sacred cows. It's supposed to, but they're supposed to uh, all the stuff where I go, really? That's what comedy is. I don't know. It, it, I mean, some, sometimes, sure. It's one purpose of it. It's one of the purposes, but it's not the single purpose. I think that the, part of the difference is making fun of somebody for something they have no control over is not killing a sacred cow. It's not going after any, you know, it, it, it's all it's doing is making them feel bad. Right. Like making fun of somebody for you know, being an asshole or, or like drilling in the Arctic or something like that, that, that can be funny because it's something they have control over that they're being an idiot about. But if it's just about somebody's, you know, background or look or whatever. Yeah. I think, I think it's always been hacky. I think that this, this whole, the movement, uh, towards whatever, what people would call, I don't know, PC or, or me too era comedy is not restricting. It's just, sifting a lot of hacky shit yeah out of the, the mainstream I, I can't think of anything that you can't do that wasn't already pretty hack anyway you know, right like, yeah it, totally um there's stuff that's just dated like the um the seinfeld episode where they um they were worried that people might think they're gay so they kept saying not that not there's gay. anything wrong with that, not that there's anything wrong it's like Nowadays, that just seems a little dated. Like that's yeah. kind of, they're panicked, you know, and it's like it. I, I it's I think to the, the millennial generation, they're just like, oh no no, I'm I'm straight, I'm not gay. That's all it would be. Yeah, that would be it would be no. Oh dear lord. Oh, you thought I was gay? Well, I'm not. Like <laughs> yeah, there would be no. Who cares? But, so a lot know, of that stuff doesn't play anymore. It's just like not. Um, at the time, it played because you know, yeah, that was like. Uh, it made people not nervous. that it's it, not it, that there's it, anything wrong with that. Like, like well-meaning people knew that there was nothing wrong with that, but they still felt the need to, to say right. that, which was funny because they were, they were saying it out loud. What, what, you know, sort of progressive, well-meaning people were, you know, mm-hmm. saying to each other at the time. It was perfect. It was, what was that? 1997. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, like what I, I'm trying to think of what's the stuff we should be really bummed out that we can't do anymore. Because here's the thing is you can still do it. You just you will st- get you can. People will just like, go, they'll shrug their shoulders and go, All right. Like I said, like <laughs> if you're as good as Jezelnik, you can pull it off. If you're you gotta be really good. Or or if you have, you know, an interesting take on whatever topic, I think you can do it. If you're coming from a a a, a good place. Mm-hmm. If, if you're coming from a place of like not I'm above you and you're 
below me because of this thing that's outside of your control. Yeah. I definitely think like the way people talk about comedy, there's always trends in comedy. Like I remember once I was, I would, in the newspaper, I was looking at the newspapers and I would cut out anytime there was a, a qualifier for funny, you know, like hilariously funny or uproariously funny or uh-huh. evilly funny, darkly funny. You know, I had all these, there were so many weird things and a, and a lot of it had to be do, do with just you take all those things as a whole and go wow they want it to be dangerous and scary and hurtful and and caustic you know caustically funny uh-huh. like that it's just always like and it's weird how people used aggressively I don't know if they still do, but they talk funny. aggressively funny yeah people talk about their their sense of humor like it's hard liquor you know like uh-huh. oh no my sense of humor man it's people can't handle the kind of comedy that i can handle i 200 proof yeah comedy my shit, right here it's fucking it's harsh it'll burn your throat it's gonna burn going down <laughs> for sure and it's like it's kind of a machismo it's kind of a it is people don't want to just american say, version of machismo. i just find stuff that's funny you know i like i like funny stuff you know it's yeah it doesn't got to be you know evilly funny or caustic or anything it's great if it is yeah if it's good if it's good all right well what else what we else didn't talk too much about Oh, did we? The split, this this recent split. Okay, you mean the PC split? Is that what it, is that we're gonna call what, the, the, or, the, the or what Me are Too? You thinking? The Me Too. The, the, yeah, you, you can't do rape jokes anymore. You know, it's like, and it's like, well, if you was there anybody that was building their comedy act on rape jokes? Yeah, I did mean, you really need to that much? Yeah, it's like, and people will point out. Well, Louis C.K. was one of the people that they pointed. He had a couple of them. But they would point out like some established comedian where they had a rape joke at some point in their career. It's mm-hmm. like, that's one, you know? And, and what? And use that as an, like, they got like, yeah, away well, with it. See, they did it. You know, that's what comedy is about, man. It's, it's, and it's like, comedy should be funny. And if you screw it up, it just makes people uncomfortable and makes them feel bad, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. And so... And yeah, you, you go into dangerous territory. That's that's great, but you have to you have to go into that dangerous territory and come back unscathed. Yeah, I, there, there's a comic that I know who who was saying that like it's it's censorship. They won't let you they won't let you you know this or that kind of jokes. And yeah. I was like, it's not censorship. Censorship is if the government is coming and telling you not to say it. What you're experiencing is people don't like these jokes that you're making. <laughs> That social are, pressure that are yeah exactly <laughs> it's it's your audience saying they don't like those jokes that's not censorship that's their honest reaction and if they don't like your jokes on this subject you shouldn't maybe be joking on that subject yeah. some people can you know people make jokes about sexual assault out there but usually it's somebody who might come from a position of some sort of knowledge on the subject or mm. experience in that area rather than some bro who thinks it's a hilarious concept yeah, who has some comedic theory that says, you know, we have to do that. Um, yeah. So that's, yeah. it's like, I, I can't think of any place where I'm like, Oh man, you can't be funny anymore without. No, I don't think that's true at all. Yeah. I don't, uh, it's just to me. It just seems like it's just been a change in uh, general tastes of the of, of the public, of the audience. Yeah, yeah. And there's there's that's going to happen, it, and um, and it, it's I mean people say woke a lot so much that it's meaningful but or meaningless. But 
it, there is a general awakening, I think, of people's understanding of like, yeah, a lot of different people around me. And why would it, why should I insult them when there's plenty of funny things to talk about? Yeah. If somebody says that there, you can't do certain things anymore, I just have to ask, I, w- I want a list of those jokes that are uh, unable to be done anymore in front of an audience. That are so good. They that need are to- so great. Yeah. Because I, I can think of the ones that I remember that were pretty bad, you know, like from good comedians. Mm-hmm. It's usually Eddie Murphy. There's another example. None of the he was a funny guy, but on that particular subject, he just at least to my ears, mm-hmm. uh, he, you know, wasn't as funny, <laughs> you know, his. Yeah. His homophobic material wasn't I don't think it was that good in the 80s. That's the thing. You can print it out on paper and look at it and go, eh, you know. But it got laughs. I mean, the audience was dying. You know, they were uh, they were cheering. Yeah, but Eddie Murphy's a comedic genius. They were laughing because everything he says is funny. Yeah, not necessarily at the you know gay punchline so much as his entire presentation of it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, he could you know easily do without those jokes now and it's 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 not a loss it's more of a just a general like like you say i agree i think it's a general change in taste yeah that's the thing is um there's there are comedians out there who are feeling grief like legitimate grief over the stuff that they you know the jokes that they told and guilt you know mm-hmm. uh feeling like ah, i shouldn't have done that you know um sure there's jokes i wish i didn't tell but usually you try it and it doesn't work and i can think of a couple that i pitched a couple of monologue jokes that i pitched where i was like i would never pitch that now yeah you know um i mean that's one of the things in coming up with jokes is you know you're you're trying everything you're like is this funny is this take funny and there's definitely a lot of things thrown out in, in writer's rooms that would horrify a lot of people Yeah, because, you know, in writer's rooms, you're like, what if we do this? Like, oh, we can't do that. Um, yeah. And then you don't usually put those on the show or whatever you're, you're working on if, <laughs> yeah. Cause you know, the people in, well, that's uh, the, that's a, I think another uh, misconception about it is do, doing edgy material is um, finding the edge is not, For instance, I can think of a particular show I, I worked on where it was a lot of edgy type jokes, but the head writer wasn't coming around going, guys, more edgy, please. Mm-hmm. It was, we would just find stuff that was funny. And then there was a certain point where the head writer would go, oh, we can't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, there, that's how we would find. So the you line. would walk back when. Yeah. And then we go, oh, okay, like- well, how do we move that back a little bit? It wasn't like, God damn it, guys, make it edgier. I want cows slaughtered. It was like. <laughs> We would think of funny stuff, and if Cal got slaughtered, okay, fine. But it wasn't funny, and if it got too, uh, if it got too bad, we cut it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like there are people who think that you should never cut out anything or censor comedians. It's like no comedians censor themselves all the time. Oh yeah, you know, um, there's that's part of the process. Is you, especially if you're an edgy comedian, you should be find a line and then, you know, don't cross it. You bump up against it. So that yeah, I mean, there's definitely edgy comedies, great things that, you know, go to places that you don't normally think of, you know, violations of social norms and 
mm-hmm. politicians and you know whatever is happening in the world but um but yeah you're always trying to find out where people the point where people you know get hurt by it or, or don't or, or you know it's too personal or it's right. it's too much it's too uh hurtful or in the it's the wrong time for it or something right. like that um i was, I was recently yeah. writing something that was like the character had to come up they had to say something that would be misunderstood as going too far they had to make a joke right mm-hmm. and um i think in, in other times we would have just come up with a sexist joke you know like or and but um we're just like none of it sounded right you know it just sounded like we can't it's just doesn't feel right mm-hmm. um plus hackiness because that's the that was the go-to for so long and we ended up it was like bestiality where mm-hmm. it's like he made a joke about bestiality that got taken wrong and that you know and it's not like dogs are going to come after you you know so yeah it's like a pretty safe area well that's but it's still that's where the benign violation. thing comes yeah. in yeah because uh, uh misogynist jokes are you know not benign because yeah. they hurt 50 percent of the population right um and are hacky but bestiality jokes uh don't really hurt anyone except the few people that get arrested every year for fucking horses <laughs> right and they deserve to be made fun of <laughs> yeah i'll die on that hill <laughs> but uh, yeah i mean it's um that's the thing is there's no you don't want to make rules um but mm-hmm. there's some good guidelines you know don't punch down that's a pretty good guideline you know if mm-hmm. if there's something that you've written it's in the room and it's like this seems like it's punching down it's like you know examine it you know um get it give it a second look yeah <laughs> you know that's how like anything um i mean like when when the onion came out with their 9-11 issue mm-hmm. it was hilarious and you know they're really good at they weren't making fun of the victims and mm-hmm. they were making fun of the assholes who did this and you know people were ready to laugh at it because they were you know we were all filled with so much anger and they were aiming at the right target you know they Good they, example, they yeah. knew where they were aiming and they took aim and it was very funny so i think there is there's a way to talk about any issue yeah. um if you're not making fun of the people that are hurt by it or or through no fault of their own or you know involved in it yeah I mean, I learned that, you know, by writing jokes for other people, you know, um, some people can get away with a lot, you know, mm-hmm. because of who they are. Um, other people can't. Like if you say if you're if you're a, somebody had to write jokes for the president, you mm-hmm. know, you got to be funny. But there's it's that's a really hard job. You can't you have to be for a president. The benign part's got to be really there, you know, and mm-hmm. the violation part's got to be really subdued. But we've got presidents who've said really funny things. You know, it's usually absurd. You know, Lincoln had so many great lines. You yeah. Know, like, but that's a really hard writing gig. It right. would be definitely. I mean, I heard, um, you know, Reagan had some good quips. I heard uh, some of uh, Bob Hope's writers uh, also were joke writers for Reagan. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Obama had some good jokes. Yeah. You know, Obama was funny sometimes. Yeah. His. uh speech writers or writer writers or uh, i listened to on um pod save america yeah um they're funny dudes yeah it's like um the president usually has to diminish their own authority you know that's a great 
you know, because that's part of being funny is, you know, frustrated authority or where you diminish some authority. The president can kind of all toy this with holds that. through pre 2016. What's that? Pre 2016. Well, this, yeah, now the president is he's not joking. He punches down at everyone <laughs> and he's not joking. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there, there's a certain amount of like t- trying to be humble, usually mm-hmm. take the air out of themselves a little bit. Yeah. Good politicians do that. That's the thing. It's like when people say that the whole point of comedy is, you know, it's it's a, it's a serious business and people got it. It's like, well, it just depends on what kind of comedy, you know, there's all kinds of comedy. Some of it's very benign. Some of it's really mm-hmm. arch and, and, and harsh. Jim Gaffigan has a whole career on being very benign, but it's funny it's stuff. Great. Bob and Ray, the old radio shows are great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Bob and Ray, the, the um, they ever wish to listen to The Goon Show? Oh, my God. Sketch Radio. Yeah, Goon Show's great. Uh, really funny. PC, uh, not PC, PG, PG stuff. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know that that's the, I don't think it's any harder or easier to write jokes now than it was 10 years ago. It's just no. a little different. It's a, it's a little, it's an adjustment. Yeah. Um, for some people. Not um, much for me. I never did those kind of jokes anyway. Yeah. I don't think I really did either. I'm, um, I mean, yeah, there, there shouldn't, like you said, there shouldn't be any rules. There aren't any rules, but there are strong gui- guidelines and you have to know, you have to know what the guidelines are. If you do want to pass, you know, if you do want to throw them out the window, if you do want to cross the, the guidelines, you have to know what they are and know what you're doing. Yeah. I think a lot of people start too early and they're going, I'm just going to go as far as possible <laughs> with no context for, you know, what people are expecting or, or will put up with. Yeah. And you see that open mics all the time. Yeah. That's the thing is, is you got to figure out a way to be, to get away with doing material. That's, that's, uh, you know, they'll use the word edgy for, you know, can't think of another word, but, uh, just material that is harsh and, you know, you gotta be charming. You have to, uh, if you're going to do that kind of material, you have to do it in a way so that you get away with it. Mm-hmm. Like if you're going into a harsh environment, you know, you got to bring your, the right kind of shoes and the right kind of, you know, ways in which you soften the harshness of what you're saying. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And the right tools for the job. I mean, like Richard Pryor would talk about some really heavy stuff, but he had such a charming way about him mm-hmm. that he could pull it off. He could talk about really dark stuff. Yeah, but he was talking about himself. Yeah. And he was talking about them happy things happening to him or his own foibles and feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that, you know, one, one thing that this opens up is, is the, this sort of change in, in comedy tone is, is very personal. Like that Nanette special, mm-hmm. Hannah Gatsby, uh, is a super personal, meaningful, affecting story and also like a hilarious comedy special mm-hmm. and so i think you, you it's almost like a new sort of um a, a, a new art form which is like really funny extremely personal it's not new like you said prior was doing it and you know people like carlin were doing very personal stuff but i think it's it's kind of um uh, it's an exciting new art form rather than just, you know, like bro street jokes and one liners <laughs> about being gay. 
Well, I mean, for such a long time, everyone was searching for the uh, the new Lenny Bruce. You know, um, a comic couldn't just be a funny person. They had to. Um, there had to be a transgressive element for for there to even be any interest. You know. Um, yeah, for at least for stand up. Um, and it's like, well, you know, I mean, Emo Phillips is one of my favorite comics and he does some dark edgy stuff, but you know, there needs, there's room for comics like that. There need to be room for all kinds of different comics. Mostly he's just like delightfully silly and, you know, very clever wordplay and yeah, I love Emo. All right. So we've scienced it up enough. I mean, we've scienced it up for over an hour. Wow. Anything I, that we missed? I don't know. I, I hope we sounded scientific enough. I mean, uh, <laughs> no, this is great. I think, you know, oh, like, I had an observation. Yeah. Okay. I was just thinking about if, geez, this is a science podcast and we're going to talk about comedy, that the scientific method is, is similar to a creative method um, writing comedy. Yeah. You know, you come up with a hypothesis, right? Okay. Hypothesis then, being this, this will be funny if I say it to people. Right. And then you test it. Okay in front of an audience yeah and if it gets a laugh that's you get your experimental evidence back which is the, the laugh or no laugh. laugh or no laugh then you proceed with a theory which is you know the entirety of the act the, the, yeah exactly so that's kind of similar right? it's a scientific method yeah i mean you can you can study anything it's science is just studying things and seeing what's happening you know yeah uh and you know adjusting with that new knowledge going forward. So you can do it with any, uh, any form. Yeah. There's this whole thing about comedy classes. Yeah. Everybody says, Oh, you can't teach comedy. Yeah. Um, there's a whole lot of stuff that you can teach that has to do with comedy. That's not specifically how to be funny. I think whoever you got to learn how you're, how you are funny in particular people sure. can, can help you, but I don't think taking a class is going to hurts anything. No, I think it helps a lot because, you know, part of being funny is practicing it. And part of being funny is uh, is learning those guidelines. You know, there are there are helpful things. There are types of sketches that you can, you know, focus in on and learn. And there were beats to sketches, uh, I, you know, the, the game theory of UCB, which is like, you know, find a, one funny thing and, and play with it and heighten it. Yeah, it, it's None of them are the end all be all of comedy, but they all help. Absolutely. And if you're a funny person, you should study that stuff and you should know that stuff. Even if you plan to violate it someday, yeah, you should learn what it is and be able to do it really well before you. I, I think somebody said this of jazz or something is like you, you, it's sometimes jazz musicians sound like they're in no key at all, but they know why they, they've, they've, practice their instrument in key so much they mm-hmm. know how to diverge from it right or from the norms of musical structure and come back safely and in a way that people will enjoy listening to right and i think there's a, it's a very similar thing with comedy for sure it's kind of scientific it's to like, be doing informed comedy where you know what you're doing and then you can kind of violate the conventions yeah to suit your own needs learn the rules break the rules right but um yeah, it's de- it definitely helps to you know, practice and learn those things. Yeah. Um, and I took a class from you, and it was very informational. Oh. Uh, and I learned a lot from it. Um, cool. 
You teach over at the PAC sometimes, the PAC Theater in L.A.? I do. I teach uh, two different classes. One of them is uh, sketch comedy. Mm -hmm. um, history and theory, kind of. I talk about the history of sketch comedy, where, you know, some of the stuff we talked about today, but just sort of a, where it came from and that. And then we, I try to uh, cr create a... Um, uh, each each different type of sketch comedy show, like a late night show versus a pure sketch comedy show versus um, uh, we talked a little bit about sketch movies, I think. In the, in, mm -hmm. in the, but, you know, the different kinds of places where you might find a sketch. Mm -hmm. I try to simulate that and have people pitch. So, you know, by the time you're done with the class, you'll have sort of experienced and pitched for different types of sketch comedy. Yeah, that's great. Um, and then what else would you like to uh, plug with your current projects? Do you have some. Um, oh, I have a Think films on YouTube, right? That people can watch. Oh, sure. Um, it's uh, I did a thing called Cocktails and Dreams. Yeah, it's got Tom Cruise in it, right? And Tom Cruise was great to work with. Um, you the, know the footage of him from the eighties. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we did a we took the movie Cocktails and Dreams and messed with it. Yeah, and you took the movie Cocktail, right? I'm sorry, sorry, Cocktail, and then you messed changed, with it, turned it into Cocktails it. and Dreams. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Um, I'm sorry, but I interrupted you. You said you had something coming up. Oh, it's the sort of the third chapter. It's uh, in, in the uh, green screen Forrest Gumping of Chris Fairbanks. Uh, Chris we, Fairbanks is a comedic actor. He's very funny. And you you are green screening him into these old uh, movies. Or yeah. See, uh, we took an old biker projects. movie. Yeah. It's a uh, movie from 1967. And then we took out the main actor and we took put um, <laughs> Fairbanks in. Fairbanks in. Yeah. And what's that called? It's called Freeway to Hell. Is it out yet or when no, is it coming out? it's not out? out yet. It's 22 minutes. It's going to be, uh, hopefully in a couple months, we're going to screen it here in LA. And then we're, we'll see. We're going to pitch it around and, you know, we gotta, we're going to just keep doing these crazy, taking old movies and messing with them. Yeah. Until we run out of ideas. That's awesome. <laughs> and uh, that's great. And hopefully you uh, you probably can't maybe mention it yet, but have a series or something based on that. Uh, we want to do a series called Electric Television that does this sort of thing. Awesome. We have a whole pitch for it. If there are any agents or managers out there, give us a call. Yeah. Email us. <laughs> you can email me, Dave, at scienceafpod.com. Um, where can people reach you um, or follow you on? Are you on the social well, medias? I'm on Facebook. Mike Up Church on Facebook. I'm trying to think. I don't have an Instagram. I should, shouldn't I? You well, know? no, I do have an Instagram. I haven't posted it. I posted one picture and I've got like 300 <laughs> friends or something. Oh, nice. Yes. So, yeah, follow follow Mike and look at his one picture. <laughs> Mike Upchurch. On, what is it? At Mike Upchurch? I'm not sure. I don't remember. <laughs> but I, I You can just search for a name on there. Yeah. Um, trying to think of what else I can plug. Well, be on, be on the lookout for Freeway to Hell. All right. Coming soon. Uh, you can find me at Dave Chacho and all the things. And the podcast is Science AF Pod on Twitter, Science AF on Facebook. Uh, our website, scienceafpod.com. You can email me, Dave at scienceafpod.com. Give us a review, send us an email, give us a like, subscribe, tell your friends, whatever. This was fun. Thank you for having Thanks me. Thanks for being here, Mike. This was really fun. I enjoyed uh talking about comedy and right after the theme song we're going to reveal the the one secret to comedy <laughs> okay. here's the theme song thanks for listening everybody
Science AF. 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 Science as fuck. Be funny. Be funny.